This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 2nd, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Even if we knew all of the risks associated with COVID-19, we don't, science still wouldn't be able to tell us exactly how to behave. Peter Van Doren, editor of Regulation Magazine, argues in his new Pandemics and Policy essay that public health officials should be totally clear in communicating what they know, but also understand that science alone is not a replacement for individual decisions. Your headline uh, recommendation is for are for public your headline all your recommendations are for public health officials, but your headline recommendation for public health officials is that they should communicate and presumably honestly that uh, policy decisions by their very nature cannot be made solely on the basis of scientific evidence. They will always involve normative questions and trade-offs of values. So how do you write that into a regulation or a rule? Don't know. Can't. I mean, the problem <laughs> is endogenously, this, the sorts of people that become public health officials uh, like to tell people what to do. I mean, it's not, it, it's, it's in the, it's in the DNA of those who seek that role. And I, I get that, which is they have a value, which is saving lives and all other things should give way. And it turns out society is always, is full of people, all of whom have different values, all of whom want other sets of values to give way. And then we meet in the public square and have it out. And that's often called political conflict. And I mean, this is, it. it I'm amazed by the people who read the stuff I've written on science over the years, who find what I say, that they've never heard of this before. And yet, in some sense, it's what all basic science classes should, at least, and did for me teach me about what science could and couldn't do, but many people seem to forget it along the way, and and that's what the essay's about. So, um, when we talk about trade-offs, tr- so many of the trade-offs that we face uh, in in the face of this pandemic um, are ones that only individuals can make. Meaning the judgment calls about whether it is or is not worth going out to store X or Y or to a yes. school or sending your kids to school, right? Which is, I mean, I've, I've, when I talk, when I teach my students, I always say there are no answers; they're just decisions. And and again, that's another way of saying what we're talking about, which is, I can tell you the probability. Well, we we're learning. I mean, eventually we'll know the rate at which viral transmission occurs by age group, by distance, by height, by, right? Eventually, we'll learn a lot about all of this. And then we'll have a series of if-then sentences, which is if you do this and you interact in this way and you breathe in this way and you're aerosol from your breathing goes this far and your viral load is this much, then the likelihood of infecting someone is one in something, right? And we'll have, I mean, we have that for HIV. After 40 years, we sort of know the risk of HIV transmission with unprotected sex is blah. 
right? It's actually one in a, th it's low, it's one in a thousand, something like that. And, but turns out people have sex a lot. I mean, you repeat it often enough and then probability goes up. Same thing with interaction, which is if you go to large events often enough, you're, you're going to have an increased rate of the likelihood of you being infected and you not knowing it and you infecting others. So we will, and then the question is, well then is it worth going out to a concert or to school or to the supermarket or to see your grandparents in a nursing home or any of those things? And the answer is, as a, scient a scientist can't say anything about that, which is they just say, well then you have to weigh the costs and the benefits and the consent for us, certainly as libertarian, for the consent of everyone involved. And then you will come to a decision and then people will question it and then you'll defend it. And then, but there is no, it's not like science can say you made the wrong decision because we don't know what your welfare function looks like. We don't know how much you value, uh, going to concerts and jumping up and down and and is it worth it well i can't tell right is it worth it driving a motorcycle my god i mean when i was young i was on a motorcycle and i was in an accident and the car stopped about six inches from my skull and that's why i'm still here but i haven't ridden one since <laughs> so are motorcycles worth it well they are to younger people often, although now everyone on the road seems to be my age or older, right? A lot of gray beard folks driving motorcycles. Is it worth it? Well, I, not for many people, but for people who like motorcycles, it is. Many of the trade-offs that could be made uh, are uh, most appropriately made at the individual level, at the family level, at the even the, I don't know, apartment building level um, and and yet when we when we leave these kinds of decisions to individuals to make sometimes those impose costs on people around them that we we can't even know necessarily who to pin what cost on uh, let alone uh, try to make them uh, behave in a way as if they were internalizing that cost well, one thing, I mean, the first thing would be in some magical world, make believe all the decisions you and I have talked about, we could see everyone's decisions in real time. We could then on our own make a decision about whether we should interact with that person, given what we know about their previous likely exposure to the virus based on their behavior. Right. So you could see this sort of in real time, like, okay, you're very risk averse and I'm going to interact with you, but then I don't want to interact with other more risk taking people. So in, in some sort of libertopia, if it, if we could imagine it, you could, what we need is information about everyone else's behavior in real time to know how to and whether to interact with them. Well, that's, that's, that, that's what, you know, we'd say in class, that's not possible. Um, so then the question is, what sort of rough and ready rules can people adopt, governments adopt uh, to try to 
control the risky, the, the most risky things and kind of leave and then treat less risky things in a less regulatory way. And that's why Cato argues we should leave it mostly to, to local governments or counties or states, but not, but the notion that there's a kind of one size fits all for the country, well, that's, it's probably not true. And so, uh, anyway, that it's, it's very difficult to figure out, uh, the, the the information requirements of managing externalities in a pandemic are exceed our capabilities and thus we're adopting second and third and fourth best kinds of things even as individuals even as informed people uh, as i told you before we started recording my wife and i just don't leave our house that that reduces risk as best we can we don't interact with anyone that's one way to deal with it um, but it's it is it's quite severe, and there are people we know who think we are, and they they, we, they stop asking us over or asking us to go to their house, or they they don't have no one asks us to do anything now because all we have said is no, and so it's reducing our friends and our circle of of people to 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 zero, and that's a cost. It's real. This is something you note uh, in your paper. Uh, John Jenkins, he's the president of the University of Notre Dame. Uh, he says, if we gave the first principle to protect the health of our students, faculty, staff, and their loved ones absolute priority, our decision about reopening would be easy. We would keep everyone away until an effective vaccine was universally available. However, were we to take that course, we would risk failing to provide the next generation of leaders the education they need and to do the research and scholarship so valuable to our society. How ought these competing risks be weighed? No science, simply as science, can answer this question. It is a moral question in which principles to which we are committed are in tension. I, it was, I, I've, I mean, two things. One, in my preparation for writing this paper, I found no better statement of what Cato stands for than this quote. And yet it comes from the president of Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, I I if, if you invited him to discuss Catholic, Catholic thought and libertarianism, he would probably refuse, or, or he would find it odd that we were inquiring about his availability. And yet, I don't think anyone at Cato could have come up with a better statement of, of what we stand for. And, uh, and then two, my second observation about this is, no one, to my knowledge, and I read a lot, no one has singled out Notre Dame or the president of Notre Dame for ridicule or they haven't declared Notre Dame or the president of Notre Dame to be anti-science or to follow the science, or they'd be better if they listened to Anthony Fauci or any of the comments that we now see about in partisan circles when the Trump administration tries to uh, say, well, no, we don't have to all hide our heads in the sand and all that. In effect, the Notre Dame president is saying the same thing, and yet he is not coming in for condemnation or ridicule. and. I think that means we're we're all inconsistent about the way we think of science and values. And um, I would urge people to 
So Notre Dame's decision to play football and have students on campus may seem inappropriate to other universities and other university presidents. And but I but this statement by the president of Notre Dame was, um, I thought, remarkably clear about what science can and can't do in its role in decisions. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.